Hello everyone and welcome to What's Love the podcast. We are recording the following episodes during a very unprecedented time in our world and therefore we cannot get into the studio and record as we normally do. So we want to apologize in advance if there are some aspects of the audio that may sound distorted or in some instances where the quality is not of the standard that we would like to produce it in. However, all that is affected is the quality of the recording, but not the quality of the content. We make it a point that we record and give you information that is vital for your well-being. But if the quality of the sound is not to your liking, we wish to apologize. We are all working under less ideal circumstances, but we know that we are staying at home for the health benefits of everybody in our country. And we are fully committed to staying at home in order to flatten the curve of COVID-19. We hope that you are staying at home too and that you are safe. Hello and welcome to What's Love, the podcast. This is a podcast series brought to you by Zanga Zirugel and in collaboration with the Soul City Institute for Social Justice. Welcome to What's Love, the podcast brought to you by myself, Zanga Zurugel, in collaboration with the Soul City Institute, an intersectional feminist organization working for social justice for young women and girls. On today's episode, we focus on harassment. And I am joined by my legal eagle, Diniko Benze, from Teresa Nau Legal Advisory, who always makes the things to the pots to be done. How are you, Diniko? I'm well, thanks. And how are you, Lebu? I am great, thank you. Now, we received this request for assistance, and I hope that you will really help me, you know, help this person. Her name is Cindy Lette, and she tells me that she likes taking long walks in the evening near her home. And one day on her walks, she meets another regular walker whose name is Mafuro, and a friendship is struck. They become friends. When uh, Mafuro asks to be friends on Facebook, she agrees. And that is where things started going sour. On the online platform, Mafuro discovers that Cindile is gay and starts posting all sorts of vile things on Cindile's wall. Cindile tries to block him, but he then creates another account to stalk her. And he has also threatened to fix her in order to make her ditch her white nonsense. So not only is she finding it difficult, you know, to be online, but she's also stopped going on her walks. So before we really get into this case about what Cindy can do, this case sparked an interest for me around crimes committed online. I mean, it made me remember pictures that were posted either of people having sex in offices or getting drunk somewhere where people can take something that was really deemed private and put online. And, and I know how we've just retweeted and things have come through in our WhatsApp notices as well. And we just share these things. And I'm not talking about instances where somebody's missing and people say, okay, help us find this person. I'm speaking about stuff that is shared online or said online to shame the other person. Can someone lay a charge against this kind of behavior? 
And like with the situation that you're describing, whether it's with um, Sindile, the complainant, or just people who had their private pictures and videos posted online, it sounds like something that's targeted harassment. And in a situation where it's targeted harassment, the law definitely does protect you against that person and you can get them criminally charged for violating your rights in such a manner. Okay, so where do you go? Is it a case of just going to the police and laying a charge? How how do you go Mm. about it? So normally... I would say to a person, if it's in Cindy's situation, first step is get a protection order. If it's during the weekend or late at night, go to the police station. If you have proof of what the person has been doing to you, so like pictures or letters and things like that, go with that to the police and they will immediately grant you a protection order based on that, right? But this is only an interim order. And then if someone is harassing you online, depending on what it is that they're doing and what you want out of it, you can either have a civil suit against them where you want them to publicly apologize and maybe even compensate you for it the damages that you've sustained from their behavior. Or you can go to the police with all the evidence that you have. For instance, if it's pornographic material and say that this is an illegal distribution of porn because you didn't even consent to the porn. Okay. Now, you know, I I don't want to sound like I'm countering your advice, Diniko, but... Mm. Often, even in cases that we have seen in the press, Mm. the damage is already done. You know, I hear you are saying there's a criminal case. What can you expect to get out of a criminal case? I know you said criminal and and civil, but I want to go at the criminal case. So somebody has, an ex-boyfriend has shared my news out there. I guess I'm asking this question because you see even in newspapers, some publications carrying that content. What do I do? I lay a criminal charge. I do exactly what you said I must do. What can I expect from going to the police and laying a criminal charge? The person can either be fined. If I'm not mistaken, they'll be fined 150000 for distributing that pornographic material, especially with revenge porn. The courts are definitely harsher on those people and then also the person can face jail time so if they can't pay for the fine then they're going to go to jail and also a criminal record means it's harder for them to even get jobs if they want to move around in their jobs because they have that stamp of they committed such a malicious indignified act towards another person Okay. I think it's important to note that you can take legal steps. And while you may be in the embarrassment, uh, because now people have your nudes on the phone, etc., you still have 
the right to take steps because that is illegal. And what does it mean for me if I've been retweeting such content? What is it that I need to know about sending this content? Because I I, I normally even, I don't think I'm the only one, receive these videos that, you know, I may not be the one that have seen it. And, and often, you know, with some of my friends, I would say, please warn me what you are sending. Mm. Because it does seem like in our society, people just send these things without thinking. For retweeting mm. stuff like so this. Now you're also personally liable, but not for the revenge porn, but for the illegal distribution mm-hmm. of that pornographic material. Okay. So if I retweet any of these pictures, and how will the person whose image it is know that I've retweeted? How will they know that? On Twitter, it's very easy. If you're one of the people whose name shows up there and your face is there and you've retweeted, they have that proof. It's online. They can screenshot it. In certain instances, if you know who the handle belongs to, or if maybe it's a handle of a bully who's been targeting you, they can always trace back who that handle belongs to, and then they charge the owner of that handle. Okay. All right. I think that is that is important. And I'm sure the more we make people aware of the dangers of distributing this material, the, the better. Let's go back to Indine. Mm. Now, this guy, it seems as if has posted vile records. So you are advising that Silindile takes all of that evidence. The evidence will be required to be taken to the police station and a, a charge being laid, a criminal case. What is a civil matter? You said somebody who has been violated this way can also you know, do um, a, a civil case. What is a civil case? So this is where you wouldn't want the person to have a criminal record, but you still want compensation okay. for the harm that they caused you. So that's where you would get damages, right? Or in a situation where you can also force a person to publicly recant their statement and apologize to you for defaming you and saying all of those horrible things to you. In a criminal case, they're not forced to say any of those things. The state just needs to find out that they are guilty of the offense and therefore they get punished because of their guilt. In a civil matter, if it seems like on a 50-50 scale, they are guilty of distributing that material, then yes, they're liable to compensate you for the Images caused by either speaking ill of you or posting your nudes or maybe even making up lies about you or even saying something that may be true but shouldn't necessarily be public knowledge because of how the society would perceive you when they hear that information. So for instance, with Sindile, it would be like, maybe she's still in the closet, right? And then now you're making this public. And so you're defaming her because you're messing with possibly her chances of advancing at work because maybe she's in an environment that isn't queer friendly. So criminal, you can go to jail Mm. You will have a criminal record. Mm. Civil, you will apologize to me, will retract or take back whatever it is that you said, mm. but you won't have a criminal record. Yes. Final question. If, for example, I chose your route and you refused, Mafuro says, oh, me, you know, you are gay, we stubborn. And he doesn't see you. 
has been wrong. Can you then, if you do not get satisfaction in a civil matter, mm. then pursue the criminal option? Yeah, that's a tricky situation of double, of double jeopardy. <laughs> you have to pick one because you, you, you have to pick one because of double jeopardy. You can't say you wronged me. I want you to be punished, but also you wronged me. I want you, no, sorry, I want reparations, you know, because of the harm that you caused me. You have to pick either punishment or reparations. I'm talking about if he does not acknowledge, he does not want to apologize. You go the civil route, he doesn't want to apologize. If the court says he has to apologize, if he doesn't apologize, he's in contempt of court okay. and you can uh, notify the court clerk mm-hmm. and he'll get arrested. Okay. All right. I-, I think that's important to know that either way, if you are not getting what you want, uh, particularly where your intention was just to get an apology, you don't want them to get a criminal case. If they refuse to apologize, but not you can hold them uh, responsible. This guy, Mafuro, is not only threatening Sindile online. Uh, Sindile now cannot walk outside because she fears, you know, the threat that was made to, to cure her of that white nonsense, mm. as Mafuro says. What, what are her rights? He, he's definitely interfering with her right to safety and security, um, her freedom of movement and equality. He's, he's severely discriminating against her. So what she can definitely do is immediately get a protection order against him. Report him to the police, get a protection order, and specify that she wants one that prevents him from coming a particular distance close to him and also prevents him from posting anything on her pages, whether it's him personally or through someone else. Because the act does say that whether you directly or indirectly engage in that conduct, then you are liable for it. So if you tell your friend as Mafuro and you're like, please post on her page and let her ask her, Sindile can still hold you, Mafuro, liable because you are indirectly influencing your friend to harass her. So after you have that order, if he comes close to you or even posts anything, you notify the police and he gets arrested. But that's still an interim order. He will have to go, if, if, he, if he thinks he has a case, he will have to go um, to court when, when there's a court date to finalize the protection order. Obviously, he will lose because Sindile has all this evidence and it will be finalized. And for five years, he won't be able to come close to her or communicate with her online. Okay, that's very useful. Now, is it possible that Mafuro can dispute doing anything wrong? You know, I mean, he made threats, but he has not done anything to her physically yet. I mean, what could he say about that case? Could he take it as it's not serious? I'm getting a protection order is not about the perpetrator. It's about the feelings of the victim. If I have the proof that this person is harassing me and I feel unsafe. It's the responsibility of the police to make sure that I am protected from this person and this person can't harm me. So he would have to go to court and dispute that he hasn't done anything wrong. But how is he going to prove that saying that he's going to fix her is just him joking? Who jokes about rape? It's 
like it's sick it's sadistic to be insinuating you were joking if you're speaking about things like i will correct you and this is white nonsense and posting vile things i'm worried about cindy's safety she she takes you know stands for her rights she takes all the actions that you are advising is she safe and 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 i think you and i cannot guarantee that at all Mm. I guess the other question I'm trying to get to is what else can she do to protect herself? I understand legally what she can do, but what else can she do to protect herself? She'll have to find a way to, if she, if she still has to live in the area around him and can't move, she'll have to find someone else, a support center to always be around her if she doesn't feel safe. You know, yes, she has the ability to call the police and they'll come immediately when she reports that he's close but you can guarantee that they'll always be there in time so it helps to let people know you know that this person is not supposed to be here this person shouldn't be near me and things like that so now your community is also protecting you know which is a little tricky for Cindy, unfortunately because if she's in a community that is inherently homophobic she won't be protected yeah i think you you are spot on for me that the social issues that must back up the legal issues. I think for me, you have outlined very well what is within the law. I think part of the problem we know is that behaviors like mafuros happen because we are in a homophobic country, one where the laws are supportive and clear. Mm-hmm. But where such behavior can persist uh, because people, are just, you know, they feel it is entirely within their rights. Mm-hmm. We've seen the media uh, even uh, reinforce that with some of the headlines we've seen about, you know, lesbian lover, when you've never line that says heterosexual lover. Now, the other complaint that people have had is around how they are treated by the police, particularly if they are gay, lesbian, trans, bisexual, how do you deal with perhaps not your case not getting not getting the attention it needs, being discriminated against simply because of your sexual orientation? What, what we are advising Cindy and other people to go and lay a charge, but often people complain about the treatment by the police. If you've not been treated well by the police, what, what recourse do you have? The first thing is... You complain firstly at the police station. So you find a superior at the police station and you say, my case is being mishandled. And then you take it from there. If at the police station, the superior is also not doing anything, then that's where you go to IPIT and you lay a complaint about that particular police station and how they're not handling your matter well. And they essentially jeopardizing your safety, right? And that's where you'll get your compensation from IPED. If you don't have the resources yourself, you can go to a law clinic in any of the universities in the country that have um, law faculties. And they'll help you with your claim um, against the police with IPED. 
Alternatively, if you have the resources, you can contact an attorney and they will help you by spearheading the case against mm-hmm. the police with IPID so that you can get your compensation for that. But then also, it would be advisable that if you're going there for a protection order, if the police aren't doing anything, go to the magistrate's court and go to the clerk and get your protection order from the magistrate's court. Okay, so you don't necessarily have to get it at the police station, but you can go to the magistrate. But you also have recourse if the police have not treated you and you say IPID. Can you approach IPID just as a need a legal representative or can you just complain to IPID directly yourself without any legal representative? You can lodge your own complaints, right? Uh, The benefit of having a legal representative is that you have someone who has your best interest at heart, firstly, and secondly, someone who understands the nature of your complaint. So you might only just be seeing it as them being negligent, but maybe someone, you know, with a legal eye might see it as actually, no, this is based on discrimination and not negligence. Okay. All right. So it is advisable to go to a lawyer and say, this was my experience. In reality, how many people take that route? I mean, do you know of success stories of people who have really succeeded in going to IP? And I'm not asking this question to discriminate or discourage people from going. I'm just asking uh, so that we give people realistic advice uh, so that they know that does it take long, for an example? I don't want people to rush and when they feel we've advice that is fine on paper because in our country many things are fine on paper (laughs) i guess what i can say is the law is one of those things that are fine on paper procedure wise when you're lodging a complaint it is a long process you will be lucky if it's resolved quickly But it is a long process because they have to do investigation and listen to both sides of the story and all of those things. So dependent on how much that needs to be dealt with in that complaint that you're lodging and what was happening during the time, it could be three months, it could be a year. (laughs) I hope not, but it could also be years. Patience in this regard. We are not talking about uh, processes finalized in a very short space of time. I think that's what I wanted us to really make people aware that this could take very long, particularly if you want to lay a case against the way the police treated you. It may be important and we do encourage people to do it. But unfortunately, because of the law and I'm sure some of the many cases that IP are dealing with, it could take long. You know, for me, the next conversation I want to have is with an activist, you know, in the LGBTIQ plus sector. Because as you rightfully um, said it, the law stipulates and gives certain protections, but we don't live in the law. I mean, we are guided by law, but you want situations and circumstances like what Cindy is going through not to happen. And I guess what is important around this is to know what the law says, but to also understand Mm. what the experiences, particularly of the LGBTIQ plus community is, and to understand a little bit more around the social norms that surround behavior. But thank you, Tineko, for your advice. I think it's been very insightful about what 
people can do and share uh, some um, information about IPID and where people can go to get uh, help. And uh, if you visit our social media pages and you email us uh, with a particular uh, story or case you need uh, some insight on, we will be able to share those details. But thank you so much, Diniko, for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lebu. Always enjoyable. Great. Thank you so much. I hope we are able to help Sindile and deal with some of the social norms around this issue. Definitely, definitely. I hope her society is also one that protects yeah. her. I think that's what she's going to need. So one of the issues, the stark difference between what is law and what the experiences of the LGBTIQ plus community is in their lives. So what I find chilling is that this man is speaking of correcting Sindile. And I think for me, what is also worse is also knowing that these views are not isolated, right? You know, so uh, this guy can say the things that he says because it's it's allowed. It's it's said by our media, can speak about people's relationships as lesbian lovers when they don't speak about heterosexual lovers, etc., etc. To just help us unpack that aspect of stuff around social norms and the experiences of people uh, like uh, Cindy Le, who are part of the LGBTIQ plus community. We have invited somebody that I have very huge respect for, Bev Ditsi, who is a filmmaker, a musician, a social justice activist, and a public speaker. You know, Bev is Dr. Bev, and she is described amongst other many descriptions as a radical black lesbian feminist activist. And I'm glad to call her a friend, a sister, and an all-round missist. And it's such a pleasure, Bev, to have you with me. And thank you for joining us on our roving chair. Thank you so much, Lebo. Hi, hello, everybody. I'm very, very honored to be here. Now, Bev, before we start, here's a Cindy Le, wants to walk, wants to be herself, and is a man who thinks that he is ordained on earth to correct people in inverted commas, but also made Cindy's life a living hell. Just your initial reactions to this case. You know, my initial reaction to this case is, oh, this sounds so familiar. Mm. And it's familiar because it's not only my personal experience, but the experiences of many of us, especially those who identify as either bisexual, but particularly as lesbians within the LGBTIQA spectrum. Mm. And it is sad because it is a norm that those who deem themselves superior and those who deem themselves correct or right to discriminate the way that they want to can do that and think that it is okay. But also it is said that they get away with it most of the time because even though there's supposed to be laws that protect us, even though it's supposed to be wrong for anyone to discriminate or to abuse or harass, a lot of the time people like this guy get away with it. Oh my goodness. So just maybe share with us the the typical experiences, either yours or of others that, you know, others have gone through and how they impact on, you know, your human rights as a person. Oh, I think, first of all, coming out, 
is an issue. Um, and a lot of people would really rather not come out. And I put coming out in inverted commas because it is a term that is used when one actually declares to other people and to the public their sexual orientation. Yeah. And other people don't have to declare anything. So it is assumed that absolutely everyone is heterosexual until you say something. You know, th that's exactly what I thought. Even as you said, coming out, a thought crossed my mind that said, mm. I've never had to come out. Why is there so much of a burden that it also says this, what is normal, what is not, hey? Because we are not, mm -hmm. not a general mm -hmm. question that says at age eight or 13, we all come out. It's not what... All, all of us does. Yes, no, absolutely. You are making me realize that even coming out uh, speaks about, you know, what we deem normal and what we don't deem as normal. I'm sorry to, to, to interrupt you, but it, it just came. No, not a problem. Not a problem. It is the othering, mm. how we yeah. other. And there are several things. There are several aspects to this. So let's say Cindy did not come out. Mm -hmm. She was going to obviously continue walking safely with Mashudu and they were going to continue being friends. And sooner or later, Mashudu would either, which is also a norm, is that Mashudu would probably, uh, what we call, propose mm. uh, a mm. Because it is a norm that when you have a boy who is a friend, ultimately they start seeing you differently or maybe they are friends with you. I mean, this is obviously a personal experience and I'm generalizing. Mm. But generally <laughs> is that by coming out, what you are doing is you are stopping it and blocking it before it gets there. Mm. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it is you are expressing who you are because obviously if somebody assumes that you are heterosexual, then they then kind of treat you a particular way and there is a norm. The minute you say who you are and who you actually are and they don't accept you as who you are, then you know who is on your side and who is not. Mm. But obviously... Not everybody needs to be coming out. I've always maintained that when I came out of the closet, not that I was ever in the closet, but when, when I declared my sexual orientation, it was because I knew that I needed a support that was going to be extraordinary because at the time I didn't know anyone else who was gay, lesbian, or who used any of the terms in the acronym. Yeah. So I found that I was very alone. And by finding the words that described who I am, I found that by having words meant that there's a community. Obviously, if there's a word, that means that there are people like me out, out there. there. And yes. I needed to find those people because then they would be the people that identify with everything that I was going through. Because it, at the time, nobody else was understanding what was going on with me. But nobody, people don't just need to be coming out, especially if you are in an unsafe space to be declaring your sexual orientation. Mm. If you're hearing your friends are saying, I listen to oh, these people, these things. If if you're hearing derogatory terms, if you're hearing insults, then surely these are not people you want to be coming out to. Yeah, I want to speak to that point, Bev, because what I'm reading in Cindy's point is that she didn't even just get out or come out, whatever the right word is, as odd as it is, to this guy. Mm. She she was just who she was. The assumption that she was, you know, heterosexual came from him. And it's when he 
became friends. So for her, this is somebody, and, and, and I want us to unpack this a little bit, who found this guy very safe. Yes. So this is somebody you walk with. Nobody is coming out to anybody here. And then the next thing, they you see them on Facebook, because I think that is what the algorithms of uh, social media does. Uh, you see them on Facebook, you know them. And you say, okay, let me accept the friendship. Yes. And the minute they see, now that they've now entered another realm of your life, that, you know, you are gay, they then start turning. All of a sudden, the same person, you are the same person, nothing has changed. And this by virtue of being invited in their social media space. Uh -huh. So, you know, I hear what you are saying and I think it's a powerful point around why and where should people mm -hmm. come out if they need to. Almost like it's a statement. It's a way of saying this is who I am. It's a way of living your life truthfully. But what happens here sounds to me like even a worse violation where simply because you've opened your life to somebody, they then think that they've got now permission to treat you in a particular way. I find that for me, wow, so astounding yes. that this is what this man is doing. And I'm wondering how we've also seen other people outing others, eh? simply because You've seen me kiss a girl. You then feel it's your right to go to others and say, oh, shame. <laughs> she kisses girls, you know? I mean, rights of, to privacy, uh, this guy, I mean, how do you deal with people like that? Well, I mean, first of all, the, the entitlement, there's a sense of entitlement. And I think it's something that we see as a norm in our relationships, um, in our lives as women in particular, where generally boys and men feel entitled to us, to our bodies, to our minds, to who we are. And it's something obviously that we experience living in a patriarchal society and in a society that deems it to be normal to do that. But I think the violation of privacy is something that I don't think even this guy knows those words. I don't think he even understands what he is doing. And I hear words like, oh, you are going to now mess up somebody's life all because Nashela, or he, he, he's interested in you. That's why he, he is a bit offended. I hear all kinds of excuses about reasons why somebody like him would do that. But more than anything for me, it's because it's been normalized. Our society normalizes abuse. Our society normalizes discrimination. And in fact, people use words like my culture or my religion in order to wield power over other people. And so because it's been normalized, they get shocked when they find out that actually what they're doing is illegal, as Mashudu will definitely find out. And he's Mafuro, but right now we can call him whatever we like. Yes, um, <laughs> exactly. Should Cindile decide to do anything about this, he will be shocked because as far as he's concerned, this is so normal. It is the norm. I think that's another piece of information or discussion we must have around how society has normalized issues. I nearly walked out of a wedding one day. It was a heterosexual wedding and very churchy wedding. You know, it was born again Christians getting married. And the priest kept on saying things, uh, or the MC, I don't remember, saying things like, oh, we are so glad that you got married to Lebo. And I'll use my name just to, <laughs> to hide the true identity of the person's wedding. We are very happy uh, so and so that you brought Lebo. Uh, at least you did not bring us David. And you know, people 
where we're chuckling and they were clapping. It, it, it was fun. And I went up to the groom and I said to him, you and I both know that we've got friends who are gay men and some may be sitting here in the room. Can you please ask your people in their excitement for this wedding to stop insulting people? But I think, you know, for me, it took a lot and I knew who the groom was to go up. But I'm also reinforcing just how we often we are not the ones that are doing what Mafuro is doing. But because it is so normal, which is the point that you are making, how we often participate eat in it by allowing in our churches, in our homes, about who is a real man, who is a real woman, you know, to go on, not understanding how we infringe on people's uh, rights. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, seeking justice, because my sense is that part of the problem is that why it's pervasive is that I think uh, uh, those who do it, one, they know that it's normal, so they'll get support. In fact, I'm sure Mafuro is not alone in his views. And I'm sure Mafuro is a lovely gentleman who does work and, and he, he probably goes to church. Uh, you know, he's not he's not your, your man with horns out there. He's your normal uh, person. But I think the other problem is the criminal justice system. What has been experience of even corrective rapes and murders of particularly black lesbians, because it happens mainly uh, for black lesbians. You know, what is that experience like of trying to access the criminal justice system uh, when you are not of the heterosexual uh, orientation? I think because the society has so normalized all kinds of discrimination against people, particularly within the LGBTIQ spectrum, when you approach and go to the police, when you go to, in fact, any 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 public services, um, whether it is the health services or the police services or the legal services, there's, the discrimination continues. It's pervasive in those spheres as well. Um, my experiences of going to the police station to um, help someone who had been um, violated was to have the police say, you know, be first they are dismissive. Wow. And the question is, you know, how did this person is threatening you? Are they threatening you? How are they threatening you? He's just he's he just likes you. Wow. Um, there's no threat here. So you are wasting the police's time and they dismiss you from bet because why are you dismissing? I mean, sorry, why are you bringing a case that is not a case? Secondly, the minute they find out that, you know, you are feeling afraid because of your sexual orientation, it becomes your sexual orientation, then that becomes the subject of conversation, not the criminal act. And so then they start saying, you know, why are you then gay? You are the problem because, like I said, it's normal. discrimination is normalized. It is never persecuted. And so the police themselves, the health services and other types of, of public services themselves are discriminatory in that way. When I walked into the police station with my friend, the questions that bombarded us were things like, what did you do to make them get your attention in the first place? You, you got his attention and now you are here trying to mess his life. You are here to mess up somebody's life. You need to go and get sorted. You must go and get your life sorted. Isn't that Bev, in fact, even, you know, just how that can be the thing that makes 
Cindy, not even go and report. So for somebody like that, I hear you saying you went with your friend. And as horrible as it sounds, I think we're going to have to share tips with Cindy about how do you access the criminal justice system. Dineko had mentioned that have evidence. So keep all of the messages, the and all of that. That's one that I heard. You are saying because you could face even a hostile environment when you go and lay a charge or seek a protection order, you are then saying Cindy must go with somebody, either a friend, but somebody to support. Several things. I think Tinyuko mentioned it. Evidence. Keep the receipts. Have the receipts. What, what that means is every single message, screen grab, screen munch, whether it's a WhatsApp message, whether it's an inbox on Facebook, whether it's public on Facebook, screen munch, write things down by hand as well. Evidence, evidence, evidence. Because the more you have of every single instance where you did not feel safe, the more ammunition you have. Secondly, obviously, when you go to the police station, because she's going to have to go and report him because we don't know how far he's going to go. The threats of this thing called corrective, which obviously we try and stay away from words like corrective because what are you correcting, right? So it's an inverted commas. I think you said so yourself. So this thing of threatening you with rape is enough of a threat and it has been seen that whenever men threaten it, they actually go through with the threat. And so because she's feeling afraid for herself, for her life, for her safety, she needs to go and report it. She needs to open a case. And automatically, from my understanding, the minute you open a case, you have the option of doing a protective order that actually tells the person to not approach you in any way whatsoever by certain meters, um, depending on the law. What's on the order, yeah. What? Yeah, on, on the protection order. So she needs to go do those things. But obviously when she is by herself, it is not going to be the easiest thing unless you are a seasoned activist like myself who knows how to stand up to the police and to other people. Mm. Generally, it's not advisable to be alone in these instances. You need support. You need support structure. Mm. That means that you need somebody that you are out to that is supportive of you in every way. And whether it is your blood family or your chosen family, depending, you need to be able to have someone. And generally, if there is no one in blood family that will be there to support you, you have a community of people mm. that we call our chosen family. Those are the people that you surround yourself with whenever anything, I mean, obviously is also to, you know, when you're having fun, but also when times are rough, these are the people who will be there to back you up. And without those people, we, we get into a bit of a, of a problem of you being alone and feeling alone and isolated, which can also contribute to your mental yes. ill health. Which is, a, which is a, another completely another layer to, to deal with. Absolutely. Let's assume you go and you go with a friend and you get there and the police are dismissive. Yes. What would you advise uh, Cindy to do. I know there's IPED that uh, you can go to if you've not been treated well by the police. But what other tips do you have, Bev, if somebody goes? Well, I think there's a few things. One is to be very clear that the law is on your side. The law is on your side. If you are feeling threatened by somebody, you open a case. The police should 
open this case. You do not walk away without a case number. Obviously, you do not. I mean, we we do our best to not antagonize the police um, because if you're going to start swearing and being loud and all of that, then you're giving them the reasons to not work with you. But one of the things that I did was to ask for a different officer, but ask nicely and to continue to ask for somebody else. And we did not walk out Mm. without that Mm. police case number. We do not, you do not walk out without a case number. Okay. And on the walls at the police station, you have complaint lines, you have a number of the constable or somebody who is in charge of the police station. I pulled out the phone and started taking down the numbers. I started taking down and I started making the calls while they were there and not wanting to, to, to give us service. I took my phone, I took pictures. I started saying, where now, who are you? You are refusing to take the case and and those kinds of things without even fighting. I'm just saying, if you're not going to help me and you're not going to get me somebody that is going to help me, I'm not leaving. So I am going to find somebody in this place to help me. So I started taking picture of whoever is in charge of the police station, taking the phone numbers. And eventually I got the help that I wanted, although reluctantly. So you have to stand firm and get the help that you need. Yeah. I must say, Bev, it's sad that that is what we are talking about, that we are advising people who may be in distress to get there and be nice. We are asking people Mm -hmm. in distress, you know, to say, ask for somebody else. And I hope that what we do with this episode is to then also say to people, if there are experiences you have had where you are not being helped by the police, let us know. Because I do think that there is also a community of us out there that must be prepared to make a lot more noise about the experiences of people. And it could be women of all sexual orientations, including trans, including gay men who are not given the service. But what is powerful, what you are saying is that you don't go there arrogantly, but you also don't go there with a begging bowl. Yes. You realize that the law, as it is written, is on your side. Yes. And yes. that is quite powerful for me and good advice. Yes. What other support is out there, Bev? I get a sense that there's very few organizations that work in this field. But what other way do we find people like Cindy Lee support? Because you did make mention of mental health. I'm sure it's so difficult for Cindy Lee not being able to walk outside. Could places like the Gender Commission help? I mean, what other, you know, Commission uh, for Human Rights? You know, where are the places that... Uh, people like Cindy Lee can call on and where are the places of support you know to raise these issues like Cindy Lee's? There are unfortunately in our country you know mental health services is not something that is considered a priority. There are so few therapists there are so few mental health practitioners and you know just even just call lines. I remember there was once upon a time where there was a pink line that was a LGBTI toll free number that you could call when you were in distress, when you were depressed, anxious. Right now, you know, 
SADEG, which is the South African Depression and Anxiety um, Organization, has toll-free numbers you can call. But a lot of the time you find that when I was in distress and I used Lifeline in my growing days, you kind of omit the fact that you are queer in any way because you don't know how the person on the other side will react. Also, if you are in distress, the last thing you want is somebody to either hang up on you or to say, oh, or, or to feel that they disapprove of you. So there aren't very many places. In every region and in the different provinces, there are groups, there are organizations, there are support groups. It's just obviously you will have to find it in your own region because I can't tell. I know though for mental health services in Gauteng, there's something called Quad Care, okay. Quad as in Quad 4, mm. Quad Care that has just kind of was launched actually a few months ago, if not less. They are a clinic that deal with not just um, mental health health services, but all other kinds of medical services as well. And they give all kinds of support. There's quad care in Meadowlands. There's quad care in Johannesburg in the city in Fox Street. There's quad care in Edenvale. There's a, a service like quad care is, is there. It's important. And they also are able to refer you to other places and other spaces um, should you need. But there are small support organizations and groups. It's just about finding your community of queer people who will generally lead you to others who will then also lead you to others. That's how we find each other. Oh, okay. And and I think we should also be part of that activism. So Bev, thank you so much for sharing your own experiences with us and just showing us what a big need there is out there to have uh, services that ensure the integrity of everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, but also respects the human rights of people because they are people. What kind of activism is needed in this area in order for a community and a society like ours that has one of the most progressive constitutions and rights and laws that are enshrined in the constitution, but the experiences of people, particularly when they are Black, they are poor, and also, you know, they have other sexual orientations other than being heterosexual. What kind of activism is needed? Well, I think we need to really go back to social social justice activism in its fullness. Lebo, I think we are as a as a society we have backtracked a lot um, in terms of our own involvement in social justice movements and organizations. Once upon a time, everybody who was everybody belonged to some organization or the other. That time is gone now, where you know those who are in organizations or doing any kind of social justice activism doing that on their own and in small little pockets. And I say that because there is no working together unless there is something that you are working with. Individuals obviously need to know and understand two things. One, the law is very clear about discrimination and abuse. And so legally, people should know what the law says. And I think that one of the things we missed as an LGBTIQ community and as LGBTI activists was that we did not go as far and as wide as we could have when the Constitution of South Africa was passed to make sure that everyone understands this law. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. uh, because people don't know that they are not supposed to discriminate or that they can't discriminate. I mean, you mentioned the newspaper that had the headline, somebody's lesbian lover. Mm. And when people started saying, wait, wait, do you say straight lover? Or do you say... Heterosexual lover. No, you don't. So what is 
point, you're being salacious and the salaciousness is dangerous. Mm -hmm. They did not get it because there's never been any test cases that have been worn Mm -hmm. that actually show that this is discriminatory and it is a hate speech and it could lead to a danger to someone. Mm -hmm. But I think more than anything, we need to understand intersectionality, which is really another way of saying that a discrimination against one person is a discrimination against all. And if you are a person who considers yourself an activist and you belong to a movement or an organization, then surely you need to understand that working with other organizations that also stop the discrimination or speak out against discrimination is to the benefit of all. And so I think by that, I mean solidarity. And so if you have a feminist organization, that feminist organization should be working together with the LGBTIQ organizations in those areas um, and speaking in one voice. If you're an HIV AIDS organization, you should be working with us and speaking in one voice. If you are anti-GBV, surely you have LGBTIQ people within your ranks or at least in collaboration or in solidarity. I think what I'm trying to say is every single civil society organization should have a solidarity with the LGBTIQA and that is how we can win. Yeah, I want to extend it further, Bev, because I think you are right. I think I want to say, if you are in a church, you need to ask your church what their stance is around discrimination. And we have seen churches who are very uh, progressive in this area, but it is about time that we preach the gospel of non-discrimination in the church. If you are in a school and you go to school, take your children to school, you also need to find out what your policy is around discrimination. And I agree with you that it will take different organizations and groups that are in communities working with uh, institutions like the church, institutions like the clinics. We need to incorporate in our activism, bringing in uh, everybody else into the fold around uh, LGBTIQ issues. of awareness and the kind of education that is needed will only happen when we don't work in silos as organizations, but also we don't work and leave churches and schools and families and parents out of the discussion. Yes. And, and I think that is the kind of activism that I also support. Uh, and so let's share information, let's share resources. Bev, this has been great. I think some of the the few things I want to summarize from our conversation is that the law is on our side and everybody in this country has the constitution as their frame of reference. Where the law is denied, you don't blame yourself. You don't accept it. You seek support. You ask to be helped by somebody else and you insist on being served because it is your right to be served. It is against the law. Yes, absolutely. Against anyone. Even if your religion, your priest, your pastor, even God himself or herself has come out, you've got no right to discriminate against anybody else. But more importantly, we need a lot more activism around this area because Sindile is not alone. And I'm sure Mafuro is doing this as an upstanding member of society and uh, he does it because he knows he can get away with it. The more we speak, the more we do not allow people to use our culture, our religion uh, to discriminate against 
anybody else is the more we will create a situation where Sindile can live her life just as much as Lebo and Bev and everybody else can live their life. Absolutely. But Bev, from me, so much for your activism. I know that even with this unfortunate case for Sindile, people like yourselves have actually led by example, have been out there in the trenches and continue to be there. And thank you so much for coming on What's Love and sharing your love with us. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And yes, good luck to Cindy. Thank you. Here's what you can expect on the next episode of What's Love, the podcast. I'm going to rely on you on this one. I, I, this, this is triggering for me. We got a, a, a letter from a Melanie who's looking for advice. So Melanie tells us that she moved, recently moved into an apartment in a gated community. I carry we move from where we stay and we get into these apartments. Soon after she moved, she was added to a WhatsApp group. And first weekend, a few friends wanted to know where she stays and she threw a little thing with them. She alerted uh, her neighbors on the WhatsApp group that she's going to have a little uh, a thing going there is rules that says where the music volume should be, so she complied with all of that. But within the first hour, she sees a message in the WhatsApp group, not even to her, from one of the neighbors saying, hmm, the new girl is disgusting. Can you all hear that vile, loud music? It sounds like they are having a party. It's not the small housewoman she told us about. We cannot allow her to spoil our neighborhood. <laughs> Let me tell you, I first need to breathe. So if you are listening and you hear a lot of breathing in this episode, forgive me. I'm, I'm also working through my own issues. Let me start by saying, you know, before we even say was the music loud, what are the legal, whatever, where does the sense of our neighborhood even come from? What do people mean when you are, they are saying you are spoiling our neighborhood? Who belongs? Who doesn't belong? I mean, oh my God, I'm not too sure how we allow more than 20 years into our democracy in South Africa that there are some people who feel so comfortable owning neighborhoods. Have you had an experience where people make you feel like you don't belong just as people before we get into the case? I mean, definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely just walking into certain spaces, people already prejudge you just from what you look like and how you dress. And you have to fight to prove that you do belong. And, and it's, 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 it's a lot. It's a lot. Sometimes it's draining and you quit. You don't want to fight because are they actually even going to change if you fight about this thing? Before I close off this very informative episode, I'd like to take this moment to thank all of you who are giving us feedback on this podcast. We have some feedback that I want to share with you from one of our listeners from the second episode. She reflected on her experience of marriage contracts, which sparked a great discussion on our WhatsApp group. So unlike many podcasts, What's Love, the podcast, doesn't end when the episode ends. Our WhatsApp group 
is filled with resources, with discussions and questions and answers that Deniko and some of our guests respond to. So let me just read you what one of our members of the WhatsApp wrote to us. Good afternoon, my sisters at Podcast on Love, Money and the Law and Everyone. I enjoyed listening to the episode on marriage contracts and found it to be so informative and so educational. I would love to comment on the COP marriage contract as I myself got married at the age of 21 on COP contract. I must proudly say that I enjoyed 15 years of marriage under this contract. It is quite a long letter that we received, but it sparked a discussion around what are some of the reasons why we were discussing COP in the story that we shared and some of the concerns that we were raising with it. I must say, after Teniko had encountered or engaged with this uh, letter, she gave the following response. Advising people to enter into anti-neptual contracts instead of community of property contracts is more about the protection of the family, especially its most vulnerable members. You have been fortunate to have married someone who valued your contributions in the marriage because of your understanding. And ultimately, the anti-neptual contract is an agreement between two on how you will handle your finances. So in other words, what Tinyuko was explaining was that the marriage contracts we enter into are not about people not trusting each other, but they are about the protection that you give to each other. They are about how you decide that money is going to be spent in your marriage. And after this explanation, this is what Eve had to say, who had written to us initially. Good afternoon, Tineko, and thank you for your detailed explanation on anti-neptual contracts and community of property contracts. I must have heard incorrectly while listening to the audio, as I took it that the anti-neptual contract is mainly concerned with what I bring to the marriage than more to do with financial planning as a couple married. I now fully understand the reason why the second episode regarding the marriage, money, and the law emphasized on anti-neptual contract. Hope people will get a clear understanding of this contract. They will not take it as the fact that they do not acquire assets together and they do not support each other, but it is about how they work together and how they decide upfront how the money will work in a relationship. Thank you to Evie who sent us the question that sparked a lot of debate, but who, after listening to Tineko, also raised what are some of the myths out there about the anti-neptual contract. You will remember that the major difference that Tineko explained to us was that under the community of property contract, even the debt, the liability is shared between the two of you. But under the anti-neptual contract, you can share the assets. It does not prevent you from sharing assets, but what is good is you do not share the liabilities. So if you are married, you love each other, one of you is a business person, like right now during COVID, they are affected by what is happening in the country. Whatever liabilities that they incur will not affect your marriage. 
So at the end of the day, it is one protective marriage contract that protects, as Tenyuko said in her response, those that are most vulnerable. I hope that you join our WhatsApp group. I hope that you join our social media pages because, hey, we've got another surprise for you. We have started giving away airtime vouchers to reward you for your engagement. So keep an eye on our social media accounts and make sure that you don't miss questions that we will be posting based on the most current episode. Last week, we gave away a 100 rands airtime voucher to one of our listeners, and we will continue to do so. To stand a chance of winning a voucher for listening and engaging with What's Love, the podcast, all you have to do is to keep in touch and please let us know your views. Our WhatsApp page is a safe space for people to ask questions and you have Dinye Kombenze, who comes from Tirisanawe Legal Advisory, who gets into the podcast, is a member of the WhatsApp group who will give you some advice. A lot of people are using that platform and they are asking questions. There is never a stupid or invalid question. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast or you have a legal or finance matter that you would like some advice or assistance on, you can reach us via WhatsApp only or a voice note on 061-535-4623 or via email on zangazulugel at gmail.com. We will try to share information with you and where possible, Dinyeko, who is a legal expert, will give you some advice on how to deal with your matter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at what's love underscore podcast. And you can also find us on Facebook on What's Love Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This is me, Zanga Zulgel. Remember to love, but love with your eyes open. Please note that the views expressed in this podcast do not represent the views of the Soul City Institute for Social Justice.